I'm Kyle. And I'm Jason. And this is Monetize Media. On today's episode, we speak with Jessica Williams, founder of Pet Talk Media. And yes, you're going to hear this correctly. You did what with your wiener.com. And Jason's already cleared it from his browser history. Jessica has become the world's foremost expert in outdoor excursions with your dachshund. We explore with Jessica how to own a super specific niche and how that could be both a good thing and a bad thing when it comes to growing an online business. Still, the site is profitable and has allowed Jessica to run her own lifestyle business. Listen now as Jessica talks about the opportunities that come with having a very narrow and focused audience, the consulting work she does to supplement her income, and recent competition. On to the interview. Want to welcome on Jessica Williams, founder of Pet Talk Media and You Did What with Your Wiener.com. She also consults for bloggers with her business Niche Blog Biz. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. So we're really excited to have you. And as we started to do the intro here, we always just kind of, you know, have a brief informal conversation. You immediately dove into how proud and excited you are over the last decade to kind of build this from a, a part-time thing, from a hobby into a business, which is exactly the sort of guest that we like. So we think it's going to be really good for the audience. Why don't you start by giving us a little bit about your background and then the origin story for you did what with your wiener.com and how you began to start that as a hobby and eventually turned it into a business. The dog's on cue. Perfect. Perfect. I know. I'm like snapping at her to quit. <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah. So how I got started into blogging was kind of an accident. I was working, my background is environmental science and I was working at a consulting firm and I was just looking for something else to do. Kind of, I was getting burned out of my job. And so I was actually going to school to be a life coach, but they were really pushing this quote unquote, new WordPress thing. Like everyone was going to be on WordPress. This was the next big thing. And, and I guess I've always kind of been an early adopter of technology. I didn't grow up with technology, but it does fascinate me in online communication. And, and so that was on my radar. And I kept thinking, how am I going to learn to do this? I didn't want to leap right into a website for the life coaching. And I had a dachshund. I always hiked and camped with them and people are always you know, surprised to hear our stories and the things that he could do, how far he could hike. And, and we adopted a second dachshund. And the day after we adopted her, we just want to see if she fit in with the family. So it was a kind of sink or swim model. And we took her for a four mile hike, literally uphill in the snow. And she loved it. And just on the trail that day, I just told my husband, I said, you know, I think I'm going to start a blog on WordPress to learn how to use it. And I'm going to call it You Did What With Your Wiener, because that just made sense because everyone was always surprised. So that was how it all started. I jumped on. I wanted to learn how to use WordPress. I think what sets me apart some from other people is, yes, it started, same story you've heard a million times probably, it started as a way to share my pictures and stories online with friends and family without bombarding them where they'd have to come and look at it, you know, instead of just pumping all this stuff out. But even back then when I started it, social media wasn't as big as it was today. So I just started there. But even from the beginning, for some reason, I just I can have a little bit of an obsessive personality when I'm trying to learn something. So I jumped in with both feet and almost from the beginning took it really seriously and treated it almost like a business. 
for a couple of years, I blogged. And back then it was, you know, you visit all your friends' blogs and make comments and they return the, you know, kind of like on social media, except it was all blogging. And so I would spend hours a day before I went to work and after I got back, probably 30 hours a week outside my full-time job on this blog and trying to build traffic and get the word out and everything. That went on for a few years. Then I went to a conference and learned that bloggers can actually make money and was blown away. <laughs> I was like, really? Which conference was that? It was called Blog Pause, and it's no longer exists, but it did for, I think, almost 10 years. And it was specifically for pet bloggers. It was kind of like a blog her, but it was for pets. So blown away, decided, yes, that's actually what I would like to do is make some money. And so then I even you know, got more serious about it. And I guess kind of long story short, a few years in, you know, the blog was gaining in popularity and I had some life circumstances change and I ended up leaving my job to do it full time. But in the beginning, I took the leap before I had enough income to replace and pay all my bills. And also I did not have a lot of money in savings. I quite frankly, actually cashed out my little bit of retirement I had to help close the gap. But also I had to be creative in a lot of other ways to make up money, to make up that gap. But probably about four years ago, I replaced my corporate income with my blog. Mainly you did what with your wiener, but I have two other blogs, one I purchased and another one I started as kind of an experiment. I do still do little projects on the side to make money and I do sponsored content and stuff. But I make most of my income now from you did what with your wiener. Yeah. Imagine when you started your corporate job, like year two, if someone said to you, you know, I looked into a crystal ball. In a few years from now, you're going to be able to duplicate this income and surpass it with a website called You Did What With Your Wiener. <laughs> I mean, you would have looked at them as if they were completely crazy. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I didn't grow up with technology back when I started school. Like, it was hard to start a business. So it was all brick and mortar. It was, you had to have like legacy. You had to have money and family in it. And it's not like it is today. And I've been able to kind of, I'm older than a lot of the the generation that, you know, influencers on social media and all that right now, but, but I was still able to kind of hop on that train <laughs> and was actually one of the first people, I think, in my space to really start making a good income from pet blogging, so. So we like to say more experienced, not older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is true, more experienced, yeah. <laughs> Take the positive win. <laughs> we have a lot in common with you just you know hearing your story and we'll kind of unpack it as we go through here but every time we have a guest we always hear something and we're like nodding our head so there's so much particularly i want to get into you know you buying another site that's really interesting to us but just the fact that you attacked it with a business mindset even early on and just didn't treat it as a hobby i think so many people in the that blogging era of 2006 through 2012 before it was like fully mainstream it was very like glad handing and people swapping links and doing all the you know the fun community stuff which is great you know and a lot of that has moved to social media now you know those the 10 percent five percent of people who attacked it like a business began to realize like hey there's money here if you get enough of an audience so what was you had the aha moment that you can make money. What was the first business model you pursued and kind of walk through that experience of beginning to like plug in the money side to the, the content side? Yeah. So I knew I could make money, but not exactly how to make money in the beginning. So it was all stuff I had to learn. But I think a lot of blogs, the evolution really is you start it 
you know, at least as you're starting as a hobby blog and you start it, your name starts getting out there, brands start becoming aware and brands start making offers. Usually the initial offers are like, we'd love to send you a package of treats to review and stuff. So I started just like that, you know, $6 bag of treats, doing a review for it and was super excited. But quickly I learned that that was not really worth my time and then kind of learned more that Back then when I was starting, it was harder to get brands to pay than it is now. They don't sponsor content and partnerships weren't weren't regular. But BlogPause was a network that did kind of work as a liaison between brands and companies. And so I got some sponsored, paid sponsored jobs through them and really learned a lot from that experience. So my initial, the initial way, ads weren't even really on my radar and I did some static ads. I would do that. Like I would sell as maybe even part of a package. If someone wanted sponsored content, you would also come with a sidebar ad or a banner ad somewhere placed in the post or at top and things like that. And that brands were responsive to that and it made a difference, but it wasn't until maybe four years ago when really Mediavine and AdThrive really came on the market. And there were Google AdSense and stuff, but I had heard a lot about it not really necessarily making a lot of money. I knew friends that were making pennies and it was a lot of, of work. So I, unlike some people, did not start monetizing my blog with a smaller ad net network in the beginning and then jump to one of the bigger providers of ads. I went straight to Mediavine. That was my first programmatic ads placed on my blog. So up until then, I did a lot of sponsored content on my blog. I did a little bit of blog consulting, but more than that, I did, I provided services for brands. So I helped them build their social media and did some done for you work. You know, so did a little consulting with them. I also was a dog walker and a pet sitter, dachshunds specifically, because <laughs> that's my niche. Did you leverage your site both on the dog walking and pet sitting side? Like, hey, I'm Jessica from your site. And then did you also, for the consulting side, like, did you use that as like top of funnel lead gen to get some of those opportunities? I wasn't that organized. I'd like to say yes. <laughs> I wasn't that organized. I was kind of bumbling through just trying to make up money where I could. In a roundabout way, the answer is yes. So brands knew me because of my blog and were very impressed by my blog and said, hey, we want you to help us do that with our website, our blog, our social media. But I didn't sell. I didn't have copy on you did what was your wiener pitching them. It was more like they found me and reached out or I said they already knew me because by then I was getting pretty known in the pet industry because I attended a lot of events. And like I said, it was, you know, my blog grew faster than some others because I did take it seriously from the beginning. For the dog walking, I started a dachshund club in Seattle as kind of a way to market my blog. But again, it's not direct. It's more like, I help them with advice more they help me because I've essentially owned a thousand dachshunds through the club. I hear stories, I follow people's journeys, I get all this experience, almost direct experience that I can then share on my blog. So it's almost like they help me more than I help them, but they are aware. There's a lot of people in my club that say, ah, oh, you know, we found your club because I was getting a new dachshund and searched 10 things online and your blog post came up 80% of the time. And so then they're curious what's going on. So yeah, I guess the answer is in a roundabout way, but no direct selling through my blog. It definitely helped me out. And same with the blog coaching. People saw, you know, I was rising to the top of the space, were familiar with my blog, wanted to know how I did it. So then they hired me to help them. That's one of the things we find so many people say is it's 
when you start blog, a podcast, whatever, we've even noticed that we're, this is going to be episode 11 or 12. We're relatively new at this. And we've already heard from people who have just reached out to pick our brain about something and had an opportunity come our way. And I think some of the guests we've had have relayed the same thing. If you go into it and you have really good content with sincerity, yeah, yes, you should be thinking about business models, but some opportunity finds you because you're a thought leader in X, whatever the topic is. And next thing you know, like, you know, you're advising or walking dogs and, you know, getting side income because people know you and trust you and, and respect your opinion or whatever it is. Yeah. So in today's view of your business, can you break down the percentage of where your revenue comes from and what you, is there affiliate involved? Is it brand sponsor? Can you break that down for us? Because I'm fascinated because we all know how big the pet industry is. And then we've gone super niche to a certain breed, you know, and then we've taken that and gone to, you know, now we're going outside with this breed, you know, so I'm, I'm very interested to see how that breaks down and in, in a revenue aspect. Yeah. So, you know, it's changed over the years, of course. When I first started programmatic ads, that was my main source of income. But, you know, traffic waxes and wanes compared to, you know, looking at the algorithm and COVID and trends and everything. So you've got to be prepared to, I like to have a lot of, when people say like irons in the fire or something, so that when one goes down, I can step up effort on the other one to close that gap. So currently, Probably 75% of my income comes from programmatic ads, maybe 70, but probably 75. And then another 20% is affiliates and sponsored content, probably somewhat equally. I mean, it varies throughout the year because, you know, my blog's about hiking and camping. So I get more paid sponsorships in the summer versus winter usually. And, but it so fluctuates back and forth. The only affiliate really I use is Amazon. I do have a couple small ones. They're primarily CBD brands because they have a pretty high commission, but I pretty much refuse all other affiliate offers. It's just a lot to manage for, I try not to be insulting, but, but basically working for maybe money, you have to do a lot of work for uh, people trust. There's a good track record for me with Amazon. People trust that. I know that Amazon's going to work for me and it doesn't take a lot of management on my end. So then that leaves about 5%. And sometimes that 5% is like more in ads or more in sponsored. Currently, I have gone, I am putting more effort into my blog coaching again. And I have gone back to part-time dog sitting because I enjoy it, docs and sitting mostly again, to help make up a little bit of the extra income right now because the ad revenue is down a little bit from, from what it was. Just on the ad revenue piece, anything, is it just the economy that you attribute that to? Or is that, you know, have you noticed another change in the way networks are serving ads or, or SEO traffic? I know Google's had a lot of updates lately. I think it's, in my case, it's a couple things. It's a little bit of a unique case. I actually had a, a pin go viral, a Pinterest pin go viral a couple of years ago. And I mean, out of the water viral, I got 250 hits from Pinterest in one day. And unlike a lot of people, it didn't die after a couple of days. It's been a slow death. <laughs> so my traffic shot way up and I was making really good money on ads. Well, it's been a slow decline since then. So there's that. But also, I've been very fortunate <laughs> in my niche that the dachshund niche and, you know, specifically, you know, outdoors and being active and stuff has been relatively untouched for years as far as competition. That has significantly changed in the last six to 12 months. Now, 
We also have the big brands that are coming in, you know, Spruce Pets and stuff like that, coming in with a lot of money, a lot of websites in their portfolio, a lot of writers. And now they're targeting lower volume keywords around dachshunds and stuff. So, and there've been a couple of smaller sites that have popped up who are, you know, in blogging, it's hard, it's business, it is. And it's hard to not take it personal, at least for me, but it seems, it feels personal because all of a sudden they write an article that is almost exactly the same title as one of your other blog posts. But what they're really doing is they're looking up the keyword, they're finding the top ranking article, which is da, a lot of times me, and then they're targeting you to do better. So there's been a lot more increase in that. So it has been difficult to stay competitive now in my niche. Before it was a little easier. Now I'm having to try a lot harder to beat those articles. So that has decreased my traffic a little bit too. It's interesting. So the nichification of everything, now that it's, I think it's so top of mind for internet marketers and there's so many people on social media and YouTube are talking about, hey, you know, ways to make X dollars a month online and create a niche, do this, do X, Y, and Z. And, and now they're coming for everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in every existing niche. That's interesting. I've been hiding in a corner for a while, but they've discovered me. I mean, not me directly, per se, but, you know, dachshunds have been discovered. So now it's definitely more competitive than it was. So outside too, you know, they went for the inside dachshunds. Now they're coming for the outside dachshunds. <laughs> <laughs> on the affiliate side, like when I think of what you're doing, not on the, my brain goes to, is there a type of hiking leash or I immediately start to go to that type of interest for what I would want to buy for my dog. Is that predominantly what you see on the affiliate side for revenue driving? Like what type of products drive the dachshund hiking you know, reader or viewer? To be honest, when it's a difficult balance because when you get down to really technical gear, I used I worked at REI for six years. It's I don't know if most people are familiar with REI, but outdoor recreation. And I am a gear snob. <laughs> So I am, and I know a lot about it. So I'm very picky and having small dogs, it's so hard to find things that fit them and work well. You know, take for example, harnesses. You can take a, a really well-known brand that has a really great dog harness, but you shrink it down for a dog that's 10 pounds and is longer than taller. And all of a sudden it causes chafing and doesn't work, you know, because because I, I hike with my dachshunds. I don't just go out for a little stroll. I mean, we'll hike 15, 18 miles, you know in a day and you get a lot of chafing with that. There's a lot of risk. So anyway, it's difficult to find products on Amazon that are very specific to dachshunds and being active. So a lot of the products I sell on Amazon, I also on my blog, I mean, I write about hiking and camping and traveling. So there are some things like airline carriers that you can bring your dog in cabin, dog beds. I have a couple of products that I like, a dog playpen that I use at the campsite to contain them that are all on Amazon, things like that. But I also, I write about, um, my dog has, dachshunds are known for back problems and my dog has injured her back. And I've written a big series about coming back from that and includes supplements and exercise equipment for dogs and, and things. And so those are considered, I guess, more generic dog products versus outdoor specifically related. But I sell a lot of those too on Amazon. And, you know, elephant in the room with Amazon is that that's part of why I stick with Amazon too, is it's trustworthy, but also people don't have to necessarily buy the exact product you're recommending to make a commission. So 
they may click through because of something I've listed, but they don't necessarily buy that or maybe they buy other things with it. So I've, I've seen that too. You got them cookied for the whole suite of Amazon products, which they sell a few things. Yeah, a couple. So, yeah. So the example you just gave about the harness and chafing, right? So it's funny. I could appreciate this. I have a crazy dog. She's big. She's 60 pounds. And I need a harness and a leash that is industrial strength that could be used in construction. Otherwise, she'll snap it. She'll snap it. She'll get out of it. Like, I will only trust, forget it's like Sensitech harness and a Kong leash is the only thing that doesn't break on me. So What you just described, though, about a very specific use case, I go to like, you have some real authority in terms of creating that content, testing it. And Google has had this push over the last two to three years on EAT, forget exactly what it stands for, but about, you know, people have trust and authority in their space. And a lot of these, I think, players that are coming into the niche space who are just sort of looking up keywords, creating the most surface level content, I think Google's battle over the last few years and the next few years is really about weeding out the quality stuff from the people who are just looking to capitalize on an opportunity. You have that EAT in the eyes of Google. I I know you said things have gotten more challenging, but have you seen yourself be able to box out competitors because you have 10 years worth of history and clear original content and thought behind it? I do think so. I mean, through all the algorithm changes, I have not been devastated by any algorithm changes. That's the thing about having 10 years of vlogging experience is it's changed a lot since the beginning, but in a lot of ways it hasn't changed a lot since the beginning. You know, it's all about authenticity and trust and trying to provide people the best, most helpful answer. Those things haven't changed. Even Google announcing the latest algorithm change it's going to start rolling out is all about, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how they interpret it and how it plays out, but it's all about providing value and providing firsthand experience, you know? And so it's interesting to see that circle around. I started out you know, hobby blogging and just wrote a lot of personal stories. But then even I went to my model now and always kind of has been is I don't just purely target keywords on my blog. I write what I know my audience is asking about, which is really another really great case for having some kind of group or club, my dachshund club. I know dachshund owners inside and out because of that club. I get asked questions all the time, you know, so I've been answering those, but I, I basically, I write the article, I have the idea, and then I do the SEO. Sometimes I do the SEO research first, but my goal is always to provide an answer and give that article the best chance of being seen. So I don't necessarily go through the keyword list and pick the top keywords I think I can rank for and write an article just for that because. For me, it's gotta be relevant to our life and our story or my experience. And now that's just you did what with your wiener. We can talk about later if you want my other two blogs and how I kind of approach those. But so I feel like I haven't changed the way I do things over the years too much. The core is still remain the same. Try and be relevant and helpful and personal. And I always pride myself in trying to provide some tidbit of information that you know, is subjective, but is what you're not going to find on other regurgitated articles on the internet targeting the same keyword kind of thing. I've heard the word article a lot. I haven't heard video. Yeah, yeah. What's your thoughts and approach there? I'm only me for the most part with my business. And so I'm very limited on time. And I really would like to expand my YouTube channel. We have one. I hardly do anything with it. I've been experimenting with TikTok. I want to move into video more 
the for me it's almost a u- utilitarian especially the youtube the main reason i want to go into youtube is because i can repurpose content i already have in my blog on youtube so i can do a video about that blog post but almost more importantly if i have a blog post that i want written because i do have a couple writers that help me i can then do a youtube video and have someone turn that into a blog post so it's a way to help me generate even more content while also reaching a new audience. So I do want to expand into video. Currently, I don't, none of the video efforts that I've made have been monetized, but. I'm going to push back on you a little bit here. Okay. And I don't do this too <laughs> often with guests, but. That's okay. <laughs> is it because you're a perfectionist and you want to really do it right? I sit here and I think, because if I'm out with my dog, I'm at the top of a beautiful hill and I'm seeing some of these great pictures on Instagram, you know, and you. I figure it's not on my desk, but you know, if I've got one, <laughs> I've got a nice little handle here and just a quick hitter video. And to your point, that goes to YouTube, can be repurposed to TikTok, to your point, can then go into a thing. But then my mind immediately goes to having, you know, just like we see on TikTok and Instagram, just the universal link that goes to, you know, affiliate things. We make them look pretty and nice so it doesn't seem like too crazy. But I feel like that's like an amazing opportunity for you because you you know so much about it. And you know, and people just, we're now being trained, pun intended, when we go to TikTok or Instagram and we see a video that we're interested in to look for that thing to tap for more information. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, 100%. That's a big part of it is, and that's what I like about like TikTok versus YouTube is people on TikTok don't expect polish at all. And I'm like, yeah, TikTok is my jam, you know, (laughs) because it's like, because I don't have a lot of time and people aren't expecting perfection. And so it, it makes me feel more at ease just throwing some things out there and see what sticks. But I'd say probably, so it's three things. It's definitely that I would say almost 40% is perfectionism, maybe 50%. It's got a little less over the years. The other thing is I almost always hike alone. And like I said, I seriously hike with my dogs. Like, well, you know, 3,000 feet, you know, up a 10, you know, 10, 15 miles in a day. It's exhausting. (laughs) It's not a leisurely stroll by any means. You know, you don't time your eating right. You're getting a little hangry. You know, you get to the top and you're like, I have all these visions of doing these amazing videos. And then you get to the top and like my hair is all messy and I'm sweaty and I look like I'm about to pass out, you know? And, you know, I've hiked to the top of many beautiful mountains with the intention of doing a video when I get up there, I'm exhausted and I just want to get back down to the car. So that's a big part of missing the opportunity. I would say that's another 30, 30% at least. And, And then it's when I get home, what do I do with that video? How do I produce it? You know, if it's just, like I said, TikTok's great for me because I can just throw up a video and I'm having some fun with it. You know, there's of course light editing in the app, but it's not like, I mean, I've taken some video courses. I did one thing I didn't talk about before, which we can revisit if you want. But when I did leave my job, I went back and got my master's in digital communications. And I joke, you know, I'm not trying to downplay my accomplishments, but it's basically a master's in internet. (laughs) So I did social media and blogging and video and stuff. So I took a couple of video courses and, and, you know, I learned kind of formally how to edit video, but it's just so time consuming, but then that perfectionism comes back in too. So I, I basically, I just don't have the time to, I don't have time to take the video on the hike. I don't have time to edit it when I get back. Yeah. But I know it's kind of a missed opportunity for me that I'm trying to move into. 
it's tough for a lot of people because video is the most time consuming, even the informal stuff. And that's, I think that's why Jason asks is like, we have, you know, we're bloggers by heart. We're written and we, what you just described on that 30% is us every day in the office. Hey, we should do video. I'd like to do video. And then Jason gets hangry at 1130, like clockwork <laughs> and, and it's over, you know, now we got to get back down to the car and, and get DoorDash or Uber Eats there. I think it's a common problem. When you said, I want to get into the other sites and buying the other site and then some of the consulting biz, but you kind of said club and like how well you know Dachshund owners and you've used the word club a lot. And when I think of, I think of the thousand true fans, the concept of if you have a thousand true fans, you can make a living doing what you love. And I think you're a perfect example of that. And two of the, the models that work for that can be either subscriptions, right? You know, some sort of way where people pay for, you know, I don't know the exact, how it would apply to you exactly, but, you know, additional access, additional content, whatever it is. And then the other is, you know, the needs of this group so much, and you just described it with how you evaluate products for your affiliate links. You know it so well. There's a world there, and, and I get it's an entirely different, you know, mindset, almost creating your own product right? You know exactly what a harness needs to have, exactly what a leash. Have you thought about either of those things? You certainly have margin on that or other opportunities where you can get that mix so you're not as reliant on programmatic and beginning to have other avenues of income. Yeah, definitely. So and just to specifically in regard to dachshunds and the club. So I have thought about products in the past. It's a time issue again. I mean, a lot goes in to producing a product, testing and manufacturing and all of these things. And honestly, I don't have time for that. I don't have, I'll tell people, I'm like, I'm glad to give you input on what I think would make a good like dog backpack carrier or, you know, for dachshund backpack carrier and stuff. More than happy to help you develop that. I am not interested, zero interest. It's not worth my time, honestly. But what I am looking at doing, so I, you know, I started this club around the same time I started my blog a little bit after, but so it's been around for 10 years and it just started with, and it's an in-person club. I also have a Facebook group, but started with one monthly walk in Seattle and, and over the years, you know, I really enjoy it. It is tied to my business. It's a tax write-off, but, but it's fun too. I really enjoy it. And I've expanded over the years, more events trying to kind of please the members, what what type of events they want, what frequency. But it's gotten to the point where I can't continue with this model with the club without implementing some kind of membership model. So I'm really getting down to the wire with that as far as planning and strategy. But I do plan on implementing. There'll always be a free version. You know, it's I see it as almost like a... It's a funnel in itself for the club to go from the free version to a paid tier, but also a funnel in a way for the blog and that I want to keep that free version because people are still learning about my blog that way, coming to the events that are just free and fun. But basically, I've told the membership something has to change. Basically, they have to start because I have an assistant that helps me run the club and I pay her. I pay money to run this club. I don't make money on it and I need to at least break even and be able to keep that money I'm paying out for it in my pocket to maintain it. Otherwise, I'm gonna have to really scale back on efforts there. So we're gonna see how it goes. That's what I'm gonna implement for next year. It could tank or it could exceed my wildest dreams as far as support and income for the blog, so, or for the club, so we'll see. 
Let's talk a little bit about the other sites. And you said you acquired one. Walk us through those. Yeah. In that process. Okay. So I started a second site. It is also on Dachshunds, but it's a more generic site. It falls more into the category of maybe what Google is targeting with a new algorithm change, but it is very SEO driven. And it's very, I wouldn't say regurgitated information, but I've removed the personality from it. So I have specific insight that maybe others wouldn't have, but I'm not telling our stories. I'm not talking from personal experience in a very clear way. I mean, I am talking from personal experience, but I'm not saying this happened to me or this happened to my dogs or something. I'm removing myself from it. And the whole point was to show, you know, I had a lot of people say with the the blog coaching I was gonna do like, oh, that's great, your blog's been around for 10 years, of course you're at the top of rankings. You know, you've built authority, of course, you know, of course you're doing well. And I thought, you know what? I have learned a lot of things over these last 10 years and what I'm doing today still works. Like what I'm doing today will still work for a new blog and I'm gonna prove that. It was actually a lot of fun. (laughs) My goal was to put in as little effort as possible and make as much money as possible with this blog by using all the best practices that I'd learned and cutting out what doesn't matter. I gave myself 30 minutes to make a logo and pick colors. Doesn't matter. People don't care what your design looks like. You did what with your wiener is, is very fancy, but the other, you know, by today's standards. But, you know, I just put myself 30 minutes, set a timer. I was like, at the end of 30 minutes, I just got to go with the color scheme. It doesn't matter. Picked a theme, didn't bother to, I was concerned with speed, didn't try and change the color. I changed the colors a little bit, but just within the template, didn't try and add buttons or move things around or install a different font or anything. Who cares? Nobody cares. It's just the information. I did hire out writers, but I have a process for doing that, that still I maintain a lot of control. I generally do the keyword research and outlines myself and then make some notes and then send that off to a writer who then basically fills out the article. I currently have about 65 articles on it, but within eight months, I was able to put that site on Mediavine as a second site. So your first site, they've moved it. In the beginning, it was 25,000. Now it's 50,000. When you add a second site, you don't necessarily have to have 50,000 sessions. Although I did, I had about 60,000 sessions within eight months on that blog. It has since gone down a little. I got really lucky. So many of my articles got picked up in Google Discover. And so that really shot it up. Now the traffic settled back down, but I'm still, Mediavine doesn't kick you off once you get on. (laughs) But I don't know if they want me sharing that, but it's still good, but it's not... I think I'm down to maybe 40,000 sessions a month now with it currently, again, because I was talking about the competition has really increased, especially, so I'm a blog coach and I've been talking about, you know, my best practices and now I've created a site using all of those best practices. And then I've been talking about how successful it was. And I'm sure it's more just coincidence, but all of a sudden here come these other docs and sites that are doing almost the exact same thing, targeting almost the exact same articles that I've shown are successful. And so I get a lot of people targeting that one too, specifically, and it's easier to target that one because it is less personal and a little more generic. So you did what through Wiener is very specific to what's happening to us, my dogs, their health issues, our adventures, everything. Whereas for my dachshund is what this other one's called. And it's just a general breed site. I went opposite. I didn't start with the larger site and niche down. I started with a really tight niche and, and expanded a little bit with this one. But it's been very successful. It actually shocked me a little bit how successful it was. And then I also wanted to take a blog that someone had had for five plus years 
that was started out as a personal blog and showed that I can take that blog with, I wouldn't say content, I'm not familiar with it all, but I, I'm intimately familiar with all of my blog posts on you to do up with your wiener. Even when I go back and read one, and which is probably horrible by today's standards that I wrote eight years ago, I'm back there at that moment. I remember that experience. It doesn't seem like eight years ago. Well, I bought a blog from one of my clients. It's about senior dogs. And hers is very personal and written. And the idea was to take it and clean it up, make some changes and see, she previously had not monetized it to see how much money I could make on it. And I bought it pretty much right as the pandemic started. <laughs> that threw a wrench in my own plans. And almost the same time I had had it for about three months when Mediavine moved their benchmark for sites you know, that they'll take on. So I had to wait. I did a minimal amount of changes. I changed the theme and cleaned up a little bit of the most popular posts and was able to get that on Mediavine also. But I haven't been able to put the attention in it that I originally planned. I was going to use it as a demonstration site. And I do still plan to, but I'm trying not to do a slow trickle of changes over years because I want to have like I started here 60 days later or six months later. This is where it's at. So a very confined time period with a very purposeful effort with that. So I haven't, it hasn't lived up to my original aspirations for buying it, but I do still make some money from it. So is the thought on senior dogs, the first thing that popped into my mind was we're taking such good care of our dogs now that they're going to live longer. So that the thought of having to take care of our dogs and when they've slowed down, I got to imagine that's that becomes a pretty popular niche. Yeah, it, there's that. And strangely enough, like a lot of veterinarians still, people nowadays, owners, you know, people fall on a spectrum, but you pretty much have the owners who, on, on one extreme, you have people who get a dog to maybe live outside and they don't give it a lot of, like, it's not necessarily a part of their family, it doesn't come indoors. Maybe it's a livestock guardian dog or something. Not saying it's not treated well, but it's just not, it's not a child, right? <laughs> like like millennials and a lot of people nowadays treat them. And then you have people on the other end who will go to the ends of the earth to keep their pet alive as long as possible, even at the detriment kind of to the pet's quality of life because they just can't, and I'm not criticizing anyone, but they just can't bear to let go. So you have these two big extremes, but a lot of veterinarians, they get criticized. They get criticized for overselling if they recommend too many life-saving treatments for an animal with it. My grandparents paid $10,000 to have bladder cancer surgery for their dog, knowing that it would probably only live another six months and they chose to do it anyway. But a lot of, and, and it did only live six months. So a lot of people aren't willing to pay that. And so they're, oh, the vet's trying to upsell me. They're trying to make more money. Like the vet's bad. But then you have other situations where people want to do they're like, please tell me what I can do to keep this dog or cat around. And the veterinarians aren't giving them every possible, no matter how expensive option, they're not presenting that to them. So the lady that started the senior dog site, she is, she was unhappy with the veterinary care she was getting for her senior dog. She felt like she was asking for help and they weren't giving her the help she needed. So she had to educate herself on the possibilities for treatment and the costs and everything. And so she wrote about that on the blog. So that's a lot what it's about is to kind of, if you happen to have a veterinarian that maybe isn't very knowledgeable about senior pets or thinks, I'm not gonna recommend this treatment to these people because in their mind, it's not worth it. The financial 
you know, the financial versus the any benefit they're going to get for doing it. And so I look at this blog as a way it gives a lot more information to people to at least be more informed with the choice they're making. And there are a lot of articles about on the blog about, you know, grief and loss because pets are family members to a lot of people and losing a dog you've had around for 15 years is every bit as real to a lot of people as losing, you know, a sister or a brother or a friend or something. And not everyone recognizes that. So you need information to know you're not alone, you know, so that's part of what this blog provides is, is it's okay to grieve like that. It's normal. And here's some ways to help yourself through it and stuff. So is there pet insurance affiliates? There is. Yeah. The pet insurance I use does not have an affiliate program. So, and, and that's the thing for me about like, I want to make money. I also don't, everything's a bit of a compromise, but I don't really compromise my authenticity or value just to make money. So probably if I did, I could make a lot more money than I'm making right now, (laughs) but I make enough to survive. And that's all I feel good about what I do. I, you know, I make enough to survive and be comfortable. I'm happy with that. So in other words, I'm not going to go find the pet insurance that pays out the biggest affiliate commission and sign my dog up for that one just so I can recommend it. So it's it's tricky. Plus, with pet insurance, they don't cover pre-existing conditions. So if you start with one pet insurance, it's hard to switch later because now the things that were covered by the other insurance are no longer covered by this. We're going to need the Obamacare of pet insurance uh, programs to come through. Yeah, no longer covered by the new ones. So, so it's tricky. But yes, to answer your question, there are. Yes. I was actually going to ask that before about affiliate programs for like Chewy or, you know, some sort of pet food subscription or dog toy. But I imagine your answer on that stuff is similar to pet insurance. Like, hey, these aren't maybe the best services for your dog. The toys this dog subscription service is sending you are utterly irrelevant to dachshunds. Like, you know, there's probably higher CPAs out there, but it's not it's not recommended. And you're not alone. Almost every person we've had on the show has said some version of the same thing. Whereas I don't unless they have just created an affiliate mousetrap right? That is a marketing site that have put everyone who's built a real audience has had some version of the answer you just gave. And in the long run, it always works out better for them. You know, they leave some money on the table, but then they have a bigger audience for longer that if you amortize out has more trust, the income trust and longevity. Absolutely. But a couple more, I want to get real quick into maybe we ended on what you're doing with the blog coaching. Cause I think that might be interesting to our audience and a good plug spot, but talk about the personal side of running you know, you've kind of walked through, you started as a hobby, you need, you want to make a living doing it, you kind of piece together, you make the ends meet. Talk about the personal side of just being in the online content business where there's no roadmap, there's no steady paycheck. I think us and a lot of our audience is there. Talk about that. And then also get into a moment where you thought either you would have to give it up, it wasn't going to work, it was going to fail, or a serious moment of doubt. Well, I can address the doubt part first. I'm going to be... <laughs> honest. Um, I doubt it a lot. So, you know, it's always a fear. I mean, when you're, when you're responsible for your own income, it's amazing because you have the whole world in front of you, like a million potentials, a million directions you could go. It's also terrifying (laughs) because one moment the tide could go that what if my you did what with your wiener is my biggest that's another reason why I bought the site and started another one is to diversify a little bit at least 
Because what if I get hit with something and all of a sudden my website crashes and doesn't recover? That's most of my income from there. What am I going to do? You know, you did what with your wiener and the possibilities for making income are endless, but all of the responsibility falls on, on you, you know, especially like with me, it's, you can make more money if you spend more money in most businesses, you know, you hire a team, you get more ideas, you get more help. But there's got to be a balance in there because pretty soon, just because your company is making more money, if you're paying more money to help people to help you, you personally are not necessarily making more money. So that's another reason why I haven't really expanded into video and kept it kind of small because I would need help to do more than I'm doing right now. And I'm just trying to keep my overhead as low as possible right now. I think what you just said is really interesting. You can grow the business but all you're going to give yourself is more headaches and the same amount of income. So you're going to sit on top of a bigger business, but you're going to have the same take-home paycheck and you're going to have more to deal with. That's a really interesting. I haven't heard that before, but I certainly appreciate that view. <laughs> it's a balance. And of course you make, I ran into last year, I exceeded the six-figure income mark, which is amazing, right? Except I got kicked into a higher tax bracket. Yay! <laughs> you know? So I'm not saying you want to purposely keep your business stunted, but it's something to consider. <laughs> There's always a pain point, I imagine, in a business growth where you're in one tax bracket and then you make enough to get kicked into the next one, but your actual take-home income is reduced from the previous year when you made less money because of the higher taxes. Then you're hoping to get past that hump and keep going. And then pretty soon, you know, you are making, but that, that pinch point is kind of is, is a pain point, I would think, at least it is for me a little bit, where I really have to ask myself, do I really want to aspire to go way past this or do I want to stay just under the tax bracket radar, you know, like, but even just leaving. So I feel fortunate. I chose to leave my job. I wanted out, you know, I was getting burned out. I feel bad for people that once COVID hit, like they were basically kicked out of the office and had to work from home because I wanted it. It is a major, major adjustment. Things that I didn't even expect came up for me. You know, I didn't realize how much I needed validation from bosses and coworkers and how much them just seeing you come in and sit at your desk day after day provides you validation. Like something so small is so significant. And you know, so it's not really for the faint of heart. So that kind of goes back to what you're talking about, you know, or what I mentioned that it's exhilarating, but it's also terrifying in a lot of ways. And I wouldn't want it any other way, but, you know, I have friends who have wanted to aspire, you know, coach people that have helped coaching to want to aspire to make a living at their blog, whether it's full time or even just part time, and then decide to back off on that and decide that it's not for them because they went farther down that journey and realized it wasn't a good fit. It isn't what they wanted after all. And that happens, you know, and that's OK. I enjoy it. I keep going. I like the challenge. I love to learn new things. I mean, if I do say so myself, I think I've been pretty savvy as this whole thing has gone on. So I think I do have a little bit of a knack for it. So that gives me confidence. But just the ability to piece together that six, congratulations, by the way, the six figure income mark, I think is such a, it's a goal and a threshold that if you say, hey, I can make, earn six figures doing what I love, working for myself. I don't know what you think of Gary Vee. I'm not like his biggest fan, but I've heard him say like the first time he made $100,000 was a bigger deal to him than when he's been able to take home five or 10 million in a year. And it's like, you feel like you've accomplished something and you have a level of steadiness there. So on the Pet Talk media side, I certainly want to touch on this. When did you start that? And how, I guess, kind of go over just the growth cycle for that. I mean, how has that gone? Just kind of give us the quick and dirty on Pet Talk media. 
Yeah. So Pet Talk Media is the name. I started out as a sole proprietor and then I went, I don't think I actually ever filed as an LLC. I was pretty much just a sole proprietor. But then as my income grew, it was advised that I start, I'm now an S Corp. I moved to that. So the name of my S Corp is Pet Talk Media, but I actually started Pet Talk Media as another arm of my business years before. And that was the consulting with brands and work done for you. The website is still up. You can go to Pet Talk Media and see it. It's not something I push or advertise, but I kind of keep it going. Because like I said, you have so many different buckets you can pull income from. And I may get to a point where I need to go back and push more consulting for brands or want to. So I want to leave that up so people can see it, maybe find me. But yeah, so I started out with You Did What With Your Wiener blog. And then, you know, I started my dog walking, but I also started Pet Talk Media to help brands. I eventually incorporated and now I'm an S Corp and just named it Pet Talk Media. So it's kind of my umbrella company over everything that I do. So it's not necessarily its own entity now. It is, but it's the name of my larger business. And then I started the niche blog biz maybe three years ago. Again, it's just underneath the umbrella of Pet Talk Media as far as um, paperwork is concerned. And it's the, the coaching arm, but it's aimed at fellow bloggers. So it's a similar services for the Pet Talk Media and the Niche Blog Biz, but aimed at different audiences. And of course, because they're different audiences, you know, a little heavier on some things, lighter on others. The mix is different of the services that I offer. What's the one thing in your business that you feel as if you, you can't do without? You know, if you didn't have this blank, you can't do it. Tool, service. Hmm. Well, WordPress, if I didn't have, I'm on WordPress. If WordPress didn't exist or some kind of blogging platform, I couldn't do this. So is there like one plugin that you're like, I, this is, this makes my life easy. Even if it's like a nice to have, not a must have. Is Mediavine like the key ad server company for you in terms of like, have you gone through some, cause I'm sure some listeners would be they, they haven't gone through that process yet and that was where they should start. I tell the people that I coach, honestly, that don't bother with the smaller ad networks. Wait till you can get on Mediavine or AdThrive. They have different standards, but they essentially work out to be about the same level of success before you can get on them. Because the smaller ones, there's problems with site speed, there's problems with ad placement. There's, I have not worked with AdThrive. I have friends that have. I don't know how to say this without it sounding bad, but Mediavine is, once you get on board with Mediavine, they are really, really helpful about how to improve your content. Now that makes sense they're going to be because they make money when you make money. So they want you to be the best, your blog to be the best it can be, you know? But really getting that assistance from them and the walking through and the handholding and the very newest current information and they really stay ahead of Google changes and what's coming and everything. I do... I do think that having a good, large, reputable ad network is essential when you're making money from ads and trying to improve your blog, not tank it kind of thing as far as traffic and that. As far as plugins, gosh, I really can't think off the top of my head. I am, I make work hard for myself sometimes. I enjoy doing things differently than other people do it just so I can prove that it works too. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't use Yoast. I don't use all-in-one SEO. The blog that I bought uses all-in-one SEO. But like I said, I haven't done anything with that blog. There is, I think it's just Genesis SEO on You Did What With Your Wiener. I don't do anything with that. 
I, you know, it's the 80 20. If I went through and I wrote, you know, all of the meta descriptions and, you know, appropriately titled and described all of my photos and stuff, I could bump up my traffic. Sure. I'm sure I could. But the amount of effort it would take me to do that wouldn't move the needle that much over the traffic that I already have. So I don't, once in a while, if I feel like it, I put in a meta description or something. Nowadays, it's almost irrelevant to me because if you look at what's being pulled up in search, Google pulls up whatever they want. Now, it's true that if you type in the meta description, I it somehow like communicates to Google more intention about what the article is worth, whether they show that to somebody or not. But again, it's 80-20. I don't think it's making or breaking me either way by doing that. So I don't have like, oh my God, you have to use this, this SEO plugin because I really don't use one. <laughs> what you just described, honestly, is a lot of the benefit of working for yourself. You can make that decision. When, you're, when you make it on your own, you could decide, you know what, this is enough. I don't need to raise my income 4% and work an extra 10 hours a week. It's not worth it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's good advice. <laughs> so Jessica, plug away. Uh, we've talked a lot about you did what with your wiener.com, but tell people where they can find you, your sites, uh, anything you want to plug, go for it. This has been great. So you did what with your wiener.com. Like I said, as my primary blog, I suggest that's where people go if they really want to get to know me and my dogs and where I started and to look at an example of something that started out as a hobby blog, but now makes a pretty good income. If you want to look at a really good example of all of the best practices I've learned being implemented, I would go to formydoxin.com. Like I said, that's the one that's a little more generic, has less articles, but really has targeted keywords. I don't really recommend people go to the senior dog site just because I haven't done anything with it. So since I bought it, but just know that I did buy something I do to plan on, on doing something with it. My blog consulting, you can find through you did what with your wiener if you do the contact drop down menu. But you can go straight to niche blog biz. And that's where I really I showcase all my services, what I help people with. My two main main things, like I said, are SEO and also Pinterest, because I had that viral pin and and I've done a lot of Pinterest work and everything. But it lists other things on there I can help with, like I said, mindset and just general advice, design advice, uh, branding advice, things like that for people's blogs. If you have a dachshund, you live in the Seattle area, the, it's called the Adventure Wiener Club. And it is on Facebook, but it's also an in-person, fun, like social dachshund club. So I've got a lot of things up in the air, a lot of things that I juggle and a lot of, again, that's part of what makes it exhilarating to me is I can, I'm not going to say you can make money however you want when you work for yourself and you blog and you're a content creator, but you got a lot more leeway than if you're working for somebody. That's part of the, I know I'm circling back around, but part of the thing with the job that I had, it was a great job. It was the best workplace I'd ever had as far as team and I enjoyed it. I just wanted something new and the new direction I wanted to move in was not going to be an opportunity for me at that job. And I helped revamp it. Like I said, it was a consulting firm. It was actually later I worked for a city. I helped revamp their, their website for my department. And so I found ways. I really just fell in love with communication and teaching people and education. So I found little ways in that job to gain that experience, but to really go out on my own and then kind of be able to pick and choose what I wanted to focus on in order to make money is really exciting to me about content creation. That's a good message to end on. Jessica, this has been great. Thank you so much. 
be sure to check out our site if you're listening. And yeah, thank you. Please keep in touch. Interested to hear how things develop. I will. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, that was Jessica Williams of you did what with your wiener.com. What I thought was most stood out the most from this interview was both the challenges and the the upside of being in a super super narrow niche. I look at like defining a niche. You could go old days with magazines, you'd have like a lifestyle publication, like say Outdoor Magazine, okay? And then you take that one level lower and you got pets, which is a subcategory of lifestyle. And then you take that a natural progression down and you have dogs. Then you take that a natural progression down and you have the breed of dog. You know, I'm sure there's publications and websites for lab owners and Dalmatians and things like that. And then she adds the extra twist on that, which is the activity with the dachshund. So she's gone from lifestyle to pet, to dog, to dachshund, to the activity, which allows her to own that niche but it very much creates a finite audience. So what's your overall view? Too niche, too not niche enough? (laughs) This is a great example to our audience that you should never be scared that you're too niche because this is a six-figure revenue business for Jessica having to do with what you just described, Kyle, insanely niche. But it's still not safe because here comes the large competition because the internet has been around for God knows how, how long now. And everyone has understood, or at least now understands the way to drill down. And now the larger pet blogs and that things of that nature are now going after a lot of the, the terms that she dominated for dachshunds. So it's as much as you might think niche is good. And I'm sure as she has enjoyed some competition-free revenue, at some point, someone's still coming to try and steal your lunch money. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point. It's it's a six-figure site. Now, to be clear, you don't need to know where you're going when you start a business, but you should at least have a thought about where you might want to end up, right? You know, you and I starting this, we are, whether the show gets big or not, you know, we're not going to become Joe Rogan with the show. We've kind of picked a niche, right? So you have to be aware going in with something like this that you're not sitting on a hundred million dollar, a billion dollar company when you're that niche. You have to understand that you're dealing with a finite audience in any business you pursue, but sometimes that audience could just be large enough to be worth crazy sums of money. But to your point, it really doesn't get much more narrow than this. Like truly, this is about as narrow as I've seen and it's still six figures. So any idea you're noodling on out there, I'm completely with you. Just do it. You can make a living. You might not get rich, but you can make a good living doing it. The other thing that you mentioned about competition, and she talked a lot about, about you know, kind of the big SEO shops and the bigger sites coming after her terms, it really does speak to the need for brand. And it seems like she does a nice job with this. If you're authentic, if you're out there, if you're literally the person who's writing this out, out there with your dachshund, which I can never pronounce appropriately, and people know you as that person, and they know that you've kind of dedicated your life to this hobby, then you're always going to stand out. Maybe not always in the eyes of Google, but you can't always write for the algorithm. But if you build an email list, you're authentic with your audience, you will, at least your audience, stand out above the competition, even though they might best you sometimes in Google. And it really does speak to owning multiple touch points. If you just rely on Google and just play that game, you're never going to truly develop a brand. You need to kind of have a consistent and almost in a lifestyle site, I would say, like live the lifestyle, which it seems like she does a nice job of. No, I agree. We truly do not push back on guests too often, but we did a little bit with Jessica and 
I felt there was an opportunity to probably really get into a live, like kind of like video experience on TikTok or Twitter with her dog on, you know, on some of these excursions. And her answer reminded me, I think, of why a lot of us do what we do. You know, she was like, listen, like I could do that. She's like, and I have tried that. But in the end, I'm outside with my dogs to enjoy myself and to have that experience with the dog. You know, kudos to her. Like, it's just a reminder of what she's getting out of it. And in turn, you know, she has been able to turn that into a successful business. You know, so not everything has to be monetized. Not every experience of your business has to be monetized. There simply is just things that is there for yourself, for you to enjoy, you know, to keep you in the mix and maybe enjoying exactly what you do. It's almost like the parable of the guy fishing. Rich guy goes on vacation, finds a guy who spends his life on fishing boats, goes out every day, catches his own fish, eats it. And the guy, the rich guy says, you know, well, how'd you get to do that? And he said, well, you know, why don't you ever want to do more? And he said, why would I want to want to do more? And, you know, and he says, well, so you could, and then the rich guy stops and thinks about it. I know I'm butchering the, the parable, but the rich guy stops and thinks about it. He's like, well, wait a minute. I could create this business. I could sell fish to everybody in the world so I can then make enough money to have the luxury to go fish on a small boat and eat the fish I cook. And the guy's like, you know, why not just skip steps B through Y and just, and just get the small boat to begin with? You know, it's not always, the money's not always a means to the end. That was pretty horrible. I butchered that pretty bad. Yeah, I think, I think everybody gets it though. Yeah. I think there's three opportunities. You mentioned one. So doing video for content, but agreed. Now you're talking about bringing out a rig and a camera crew or you know something that's disrupting the hobby you work to support. The other two that were really clear to us were deeper affiliate relationships. She said she only works with Amazon because that's what people trust. Agreed. I would argue as, you know, as two guys who've been an affiliate for a long time, one, there are better paying programs. I'm sure there are even, even if you go to like the pet smarts and the pet goes of the world, you could probably get into a program and then you go even niche with specific brands. And I think maybe people only trust Amazon is a bit of an antiquated view, perhaps, you know, maybe 10 years ago on the internet, but e-commerce has become pretty standardized that I think most people trust that there's kind of some good intermediaries like Shopify and even just a credit card networks and Apple pay to can kind of keep your purchases safe. So I think that's a huge opportunity and a relatively easy one to extract more dollars out of the, the lease and harness clicks. I think the last one is creating your own product. Again, this is, turns your life into a totally separate business. But if it were us, right, or if it was in the hands of someone who really just wanted to grow this as a business, I think there's a huge opportunity here for somebody who has the expertise to identify what exactly is needed for a dachshund owner, the exact sort of harness, the exact size, the exact leash, find a supplier, manufacture it, and you'll probably have the best product on the market. But again, now you're a product manufacturer and not a, a dachshund site runner. Yeah, my note on the Amazon thing is, and, and I get her point, I think what she is probably thinking to herself is, you know, here I go recommending something, you know, out of a comfort zone. If it doesn't go well, you know, my audience, quote, blames me. And I think probably over time here, she has developed a rapport with her audience and a trust that they, they're not going to look at Jessica as the one 
that had a failure in a recommendation of a product. I don't think that's ever going to happen. They're going to go right to that brand that screwed up. So I definitely think that would be the glowing opportunity for me if I'm her is to just try and develop a relationship with a more you know, higher margin affiliate opportunity and, and try to explore that and see how it goes. I'd recall our episode one with Josh Babbitt of the, the Hacker's Paradise, and they do paid reviews for golf clubs and equipment, and then they review other products too. You don't have to pay them to get on their site, but they treat all of them equally. But I think his users over time have come to appreciate the fact that they're honest, whether someone's paying or not, and that they're doing their level best to recommend things they think are good or not good. And you do that enough times, you might not get everything right? You might have a review of something that somebody else disagrees with. They love it or they hate it. But at the end of the day, it's clear over time that you can build up that sort of integrity and authenticity that, you know, hey, I vetted this product. I really liked it. I liked the brand. My experience was very good. You know, if you don't have that, I think that's a, probably an unfounded fear. But for me, the bottom line with Jessica is that she's built a true lifestyle business, a really good brand, and she's figured out ways to supplement that income through some of the consulting work she does, through the affiliate work she does, selling ads, things like that. Really hard to argue with that. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Hey, listen, in the end, if it doesn't work out, she probably could sell the URL to someone for a decent return. I think to your point earlier, the larger shops now realize that niche is kind of the way to go. And I think you're going to see roll-ups in all sorts of niche media because if you're Jessica, you do reach a limit as to what you could do. And I know there are, there are people and companies out there that are probably looking to say, huh, you know, we're a pet. As more and more companies, product companies invest in the content, they're probably looking at like, huh, could we round up the top 10 websites about outdoor activities with your dog. And now we cover the whole market. And every time somebody goes to read that, it's our products that get recommended. Or it's just a good business decision and they could achieve the, it becomes a good media company. You can achieve economies of scale. So yeah, I agree with you. Acquisition is always a good route. If you're making money, you could apply some multiple to the top or bottom line and know that you probably have an exit, particularly if you build a brand that is not solely built around a single individual. That's where it can be become difficult to step out of that. So you want to build a brand, make yourself relevant, but also if you're thinking about selling, make sure the brand can stand on its own if you get paid and retire to a beach. Which we all want to do. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. 